And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine, and I'm joined now by Alex Stewart. Hello, Joe. Seb Stafford Bloor. Morning, Joe. Morning. Uh, game relevant still today, we will be discussing things that have come from games that are relevant to the time now. Uh, the games include such games as Manchester United West Ham. I believe that was the order. I think it was. I don't know where they were. And also Everton versus... Blanking, 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 blanking. Tottenham, the Totters, the Spurs. We talk, <laughs> we talk all about the the Totters and the Spurs and the Evertons, and we talk about Manchester United and West Ham specifically. Donny Van der Beek. We talk about Richarlison. We talk about subs being subbed. We talk about my fear of chewing gum. We talk about Leicester. Actually, we don't talk about Leicester, but we promise to talk about Leicester next time. And we revisit the stats and facts database, which is a very exciting time for all of us. But before we get started, let me remind you that if you enjoy football and if you want to have something to fill your life with then you should find the athletic at a seven day free trial uh, if you visit theathletic.com forward slash tifo you can get that seven day free trial and you could use it uh, to read for example uh, Jack Pitbrook talking about Mourinho's Spurs. Uh, also, he did it with uh, with Mark Carey, who's one of the new data uh, writers who, who works here. And they did an interesting comparison uh, of Mourinho to Pochettino's last few years. Very, very, it was really useful for me in my research for what turned out to be not for this podcast because we ended up not really talking about it. But uh, also, there's 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 Paddy Boyland, who I'm sure will have written something about Richarlison before. Uh, David Ornstein, whose column I read every Monday and get excited about things that are happening in the news. And uh, generally, just a just a host of uh, excellent uh, journalists who are all doing good things, aren't they, Seb? They sure are. I've been enjoying Jay Durso's work as well. He's been um, doing Ooh. very interesting things on gambling sponsors in the Premier League. Doctor Durso, yeah, always worth a read. Is old Dursey. Alex, what have you enjoyed reading recently? Uh, Michael Cox's piece on Peniel Harder in the WSL and how she's now arguably the best female player in the world. Very, very good piece. Yeah, no, it's okay. Well, listen, listen, basically everything's happening there. It's like, you know, when you live in a small town and the circus is in town, and even if you don't like circuses, you kind of have to go because it's the circus and you live in a small town. It's like that, yeah? Maybe you don't want to go, but allow the social pressure of me repeating this over and over again to seep into your bones and pick up your phone and just type in theathletic.com forward slash TIFO and think, I'm doing a good thing. I'm doing a good thing. And then just see what it's like for free for seven days. And if you don't like it, then just delete it and don't pay for it. And that's okay, because it's all just about the product, baby. Yeah? Was that good? That was very nice. Thanks. Okay. Uh, well, in which case, I'll leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of Seb Stafford Bloor and Alex Stewart. Okay, let's begin 
with uh, Everton Tottenham game relevant. We're going to talk about Richarlison today, um, but first, of course, let's reference the context. Five four, huh? Alex, this was a game with nine goals, and it didn't include Southampton. <laughs> oh, oh wow! I mean, that's yeah. yeah it's just a cheers, bad joke. Cheers isn't it? for that. Well, yeah, but it's, it's just... yeah. Okay. <laughs> Listen, um... what, the, the reason the reason I bring this up, not the nine <laughs> goals thing. The reason I want to talk about Richarlison is, and I'm going to sound a little a little pompous now, a little bit uh, you know territorial, but I would like uh, both of you to confirm that I said in the text chat. Let's talk about Richarlison before he scored a goal, okay? Before he, he turned his performance into, you know, potentially a game-winning one. Uh, I was already... I was on the money, wasn't I, Seb? Yeah, you were. I mean, also, after he scored his first goal, you did spend another kind of five minutes talking about how prescient you were and how you were, quote, sure. football. It was yes. weird. You, you had <laughs> like, a I'm, funny fo- I'm the best at football. Yeah, you, that's, yes. a, that's a direct quote from the WhatsApp group. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's true. And it stands to this day. Listen, the reason I thought this, right, wasn't because of his goals. It was because we don't talk about Richarlison very much at the moment. Um, and that's for obvious reasons. James Rodriguez is in the same team, as is Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And, you know, both of them, I, th- I think we, I think Everton have moved from a team where Richarlison was perhaps the most exciting player to a team where Richarlison is one of the most exciting players. And so it's natural that he's not the forefront of the conversation anymore. But to me... As a sort of bystander, someone who did not watch Everton every game and someone who, you know, allowed his Everton opinion to be formed by what other people said. I thought of uh, Richarlison a couple of seasons ago that he was ready to pop off, you know, he was ready to pop off big time. Uh, that there were there were these there were the same sorts of you know distant rumours that you would hear about Adama Traore joining Barcelona uh, uh, as there were for, for Richarlison. He felt he felt very much like a player uh, at his age at the suppose at the time two seasons ago he was only twenty one. You weren't really sure where his his ceiling was, and I'm, I'm not sure that we are still. Now he's done very very well, and obviously Everton uh, hugely missed him when he had his period of injury layoff. But he he hasn't popped off, has he, Seb? He hasn't, but I, I feel like there are a few mitigating factors around that. He's had a, a career which has been blighted by external circumstances. So obviously his time at Watford ended with Marcus Silva getting sacked and Javi Gracia replacing him. And then his move to Everton was successful for him. If you look at what surrounded him during that time, succession of different managers, some stability now with, with Carlo Ancelotti, of course. But he's been managed by Silver again, by David Unsworth, by Sam Allardyce. And also there's kind of been a little bit of a rotating cast around him. So he's played with Cenk Tosin at different points. Theo Walcott has been um, alongside him in that forward line. Um, Gilfie Sigurdsson has been in the 10, now replaced by kind of Hamas Rodriguez. Alex Wobie's in there. So there's a lot of flux and that's difficult for a player. And hopefully the ways in which a career grows is when it has the kind of stability to do that. So that's kind of, you need that external stabilised context really to judge him properly and for him to to progress forward, I think. Alex, what kind of player is he? Because he seems to be, you know, he's 23 years old. As I said before, we're not really entirely sure what his ceiling is. It feels like he could improve dramatically still. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's a a good question because if you look at, at what type of player he is in terms of his statistics, he's sort of caught between being a good forward and a good wide attacking midfielder inverted winger type of player so he's he's like a forward who maybe doesn't score quite so much but adds a lot in terms of carries and dribbles and pressing particularly 
or if he's a winger, he does that well, but he doesn't assist quite as much as you'd expect. And I think that's partly a result of how he's used at Everton. So last season, quite a lot of the time, he was used effectively as a second striker off Calvert-Lewin in a 4-4-2. This season, although he plays wide on the left, his job is very much to, to sit in that channel, to receive long passes, carry it towards goal, and uh, you know it, it's he's not he's not particularly definitively one thing or another. And I think maybe with a player like him, you kind of want to nail down exactly what that best position is if you're going to look at him as being somebody who's producing goals, assists, that kind of thing at the level of a top player. But I think what he does for Everton is extremely useful in their system and works very well currently. I mean, when we look at Everton's system as well and the players that are currently performing within it, the left forward role is pr- pretty much the only role Shelton's going to get to play, right? I mean, James Rodriguez playing on that right-hand side, as as you know in a, in a video, I, I don't think it will have gone out when people are listening to this, Alex, but it, it, it's a minor note in the video, so it's probably worth uh, and interesting enough to talk about now. James Rodriguez plays obviously on the, the right forward role a lot of the time, but he still has the function of a creative 10, right? Uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin obviously at the nine is, is turning into one of the best strikers in the Premier League, and He's genuinely exciting prospect still, even at his even at his level. You you feel like with those two players uh, accommodating defenders, uh, Richarlison should should be having a better run of it this season than he otherwise would have done. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair point, and and it, it's the way you've described it is is this sort of um, lopsided effect where although Richarlison and and Hamas are effectively starting in the same positions out wide. Hamas is dropping off and tucking inside and Richarlison is pushing up and, and tucking inside the other way and it creates almost a kind of one-two shape. But because Richarlison has this pace and ball-carrying ability, a lot of the time what he's looking to do is is drive forwards at an angle um, with then Calvert-Lewin kind of creating space for him. And it is quite a dynamic role. It's like a it, it, he plays as a striker, but he starts wide, wider than you'd expect. And Previously, when we've seen st- strikers in wide positions, it's been people like, I don't know, Mandzukic, who is uh, used as like a wide target man. You know, you kind of lump the ball over to him and he's nodding it in. Um, Richarlison's sort of, it's a slightly different role. I think he's going to develop into it. You know, I think this is an Everton team that are improving under Ancelotti. Um, but the balance of that front three is very, very important. And, and you kind of worry if there's a disruption to it, like Seb says, if... You know, if he goes back to having to to work out how to play with different players, that might affect uh, how he's performing this season. Yeah. And Seb, just a word on uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson as well, because he's a player uh, who's found it difficult to, to get into the team this season. The, the, the natural formation doesn't quite suit his style of play. But he played last night, he scored a penalty and he assisted three. And particularly his assist for uh, Bernard was just superb, right? He had a fantastic game. Yeah, that assist for Bernard was brilliant. Sort of the the quick processing of the game around him and the time of the ball was just just a lovely little bit of football. And the problem with Sigurdsson has always been that if you watch him and if you watch him compared to someone like, well, Hammers would be the best example, his first touch isn't quite as reliable and isn't quite as slick as it needs to be to, to exist at the very top of the game. And yet, given the opportunity, he's capable of doing brilliant things with the ball at his feet. Um to me, he's like a he's like a slightly out of tune instrument in an orchestra, isn't he? Like he has his merits, and you know he has value, but he doesn't quite fit the picture of what's going on around him. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Um, and also, I suppose you know, last night 
Everton played a four two three one. And he, he sat in that ten roll and that's where he's best. And the vast majority of games this season they've played a four three three and he just doesn't have an as you say, he doesn't have a natural place in that in that system. It's a shame really. Well also, you know, as Alex said and you know, as the, the video will make clear, like part of the facility in this formation is for Hammers to drop inside a little bit and, and sort of act as a, a pseudo quasi ten. Um God, that is horrible. What a terrible kind of Brendan Rogersism that is. Um, <laughs> pseudo ten. Oh, that's Alex. That should have. How how is it that I've said that and not you? That's ridiculous. Yeah, really. Um, rubbing off. So as a result, like if you've got if you've got Rodriguez drifting into that position, then what do you do with someone like Sigurdsson? You can't you can't accommodate both, and you can't get the best out of both in the same in the same system. And so, and obviously, Rodriguez wins that battle. Unfortunately, it's a shame for him. I just think he's. He's one of those players. If you look back at his career, he's been in the wrong place at the, in the wrong at the wrong time consistently. He could have been a very good Spurs player, but wrong era for him. He could have been an excellent Everton player, kind of the wrong era for him. And he was excellent at Swansea for long periods of time, but it was during a period when they were really struggling and when there were very few pieces yeah. around him. Well, you know what? He's been a valuable asset to the Icelandic uh, international team. So hopefully that satiates his. Uh, his need for uh, consistency and quality uh, when he retires. Hey, you know how we like to think about players as they retire and hoping that they feel happy. I'm still reeling from quasi-pseudo-10. I just sure. can't believe I said that publicly. Before we move on from Everton, I, uh, I, want, to, I want to understand uh, from Alex's perspective, from your perspective, Alex, uh, this team generally, we, they haven't come up with a huge amount since the beginning of the season. We talked about them a lot then because they were very exciting. They won four or five games on the trot right, right off the bat. Carlo Ancelotti is the coach. Hammers Rodriguez is this iconic player. Uh, I mean, they, they, they feel like they've got a real good thing going. Presumably they can you know keep this team together next season. Do you feel that there might be more consistency? Um, you would hope so. I mean, I suppose the, the, the tricky thing always with assessing a team like Everton is is the the movement of teams around them. So you've got a fairly well established, you know, top 5 or 6 um which I think, you know, this season we can say Leicester City has joined rather than than Arsenal, but with teams yeah. like West Ham, Villa, Leeds, you know, there's a lot there's a lot in that mix that I think Everton previously had that kind of 7th 8th position pretty much sewn up and there's there's a lot of competition for it now. So you're judging it in absolute terms, in terms of how Everton themselves are progressing, which I think is well, and they've got some good players, and it's nice to see people like Mason Holgate getting minutes as well. But then are they slightly treading water compared to some of these other sides around them? Uh, it's, well, it's I, difficult put it this to way, say. Though, let me say this to you, okay? Everton, they, they actually have a couple of games in hand on most of the teams in the league, right? Currently 21 games played, 37 points. Liverpool, 23 games played, 40 points. If Everton win both of their games in hand, they're, they're even with Leicester in third. I mean, I, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm wrong to say inconsistency. Well, I, I think the thing is that, again, it, it's a sort of heuristic in terms of how we look at these teams because there's, there's a level of play and quality that you sometimes see exhibited from those other teams that I'm not convinced you see consistently from Everton. Um, I think they still have, obviously, or, well, now Robin Olsen has replaced Jordan Pickford and, and whether that will persist after Pickford's return, I'm, I'm not sure. I think he was on the bench yesterday. Um, but, you know, that they, they have problems they need to sort out um, in terms of, 
building that balance, retaining the midfield solidity that they exhibited at the beginning of the season. So you can certainly see them moving in the right direction, but I'm also not convinced that it's it's quite sustainable at that level yet. Seb, though, if you're an Everton fan at this point in the season, you're thinking you can finish top four. You've got an opportunity to finish top four. I think so. I'm thinking also I need to keep a couple of these players fit. I'd be yeah. very worried. I mean, obviously, we are recording the day after the Everton Spurs game and Dominic Calvert-Lewin limped off, which would be pretty concerning to me. Decore is very important. Rodriguez, obviously, very, very important. Michael Keane has become really important. I think like one of the understated parts of their season has been his the kind of reclamation of his reputation. Like He was a little bit of a joke a couple of years ago. He was a sort of, oh, you know, he, he's had you know, a, a chance with the England side because of a large transfer fee and a Manchester United background. But in reality, he's, I mean, he's become one of the more stable defenders in the country. I think it's, it's a very interesting point that because I, I've noticed particularly over the last sort of month or so, Michael Keane and also Declan Rice are two players who I think have excelled recently. But when I recall them playing for England, I... I remember mistakes, I remember things being very static, very slow, and they seem like really, really different players playing for their club sides than they do for their national team. And I and I wonder sometimes whether that, that those England performances overshadow how we view those players unless we actually sit and watch them for a period. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I, I wonder whether I'm ever able to judge England players fairly when they play for England, just because I have so much built up resentment over the years and so many kind of assumptions about why players are being picked and you hate what the England. secret agenda is. I, but it's, it's a, that's a fair point. Not that Seb hates England, although obviously he's he moving. hates England. He's um, he's not a patriot, <laughs> he's listeners. Moved. He's he moved wants away. to he wants to burn his own country to the ground. Yeah, <laughs> but, but what when, about the flag, Seb? Hmm? Think so about when, the flag. Jack Grealish came in. One of the interesting things about that, obviously Grealish performed really well in those games, but the backdrop was almost like Southgate doesn't really want to select him and doesn't really want to use him and kind of doesn't have an option. And and I wonder if there was a a greater degree of positivity towards him almost because of that slight tension. Whereas players that seem to glide into the England team, yeah, maybe you think, well, do they deserve that? Before, before you answer that question, Seb, let me ask you this. Did you read the Guardian special investigation about the Queen? No, I did not. You didn't read that? No, are you going to accuse me of... I was just wondering if it's because you're not a patriot, I don't know. I'm going to gloss over this and just respond to Alex's question and just say oh, that... thank you, Seb. The, the problem for Gareth Southgate is that, is this historic issue? And like, when, when, when something like Grealish comes along, we're not judging him on the way that he's managed the team over the last few years. We're judging him on things that, I don't know, Sven Goran Eriksson did. And now, when you see a Grealish-like case where there's there's a little bit of a hesitation over a flair player or someone from outside the kind of the top six, then all of this um, corked frustration comes pouring out from everyone. But I um, think it's been Southgate, built up over decades. I think Southgate did play into that, not deliberately, I'm sure, but he... He was hardly effusive in his praise of Grealish, despite the fact he was clearly the best player in the games that he played. Like he, it there, there seemed to be almost a, a reticence to to listen, really guys. I've got the answer here. I've got uh, the answer. What is, it? is it to do with the Queen? And There's the an anti Aston Villa prejudice in the England team. I know that for a fact because you know who told me? Tyrone Mings. The Queen. The Queen told me. Ah, okay. Uh, she said specifically, I quote, 
Um, I don't quote, obviously. Uh, England managers have always hated Aston Villa players and they they will never praise them even if they're forced to pick them. Tyrone Mings is actually from Bath. He is the first Bath-born footballer to represent England since some guy in the in the 1800s who, who I've forgotten. I feel like really? we should have like a post box. It's a in over 100 years. Or, you know, something like that. Yeah, so there aren't there aren't that many Bath-born professional footballers. Uh, Ashley Barnes is really the only one. Um, and <laughs> when you somehow say Bath he's also born, Austrian. I feel like we should clarify that Bath is a place. That doesn't mean like children that are born <laughs> in, like a, in a water birth. <laughs> <laughs> Bath is a is a quaint little town in the in the. No, it's not a town. It's a city. We've got well, a cathedral. No, 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 no. Sure. Yeah. These are the rules. Uh-huh. Cathedral equals city. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, our, it's a quaint it's little town in the west of England. And, uh, you know, it's fine, basically. It's a thriving I'm, I'm sure if you wanted to buy a uh, a wooden uh, wooden clock, uh, you know, you could probably do it there. That's the sort of place you'd be able to buy a little wooden clock. Yeah. Winchester's got uh, Wayne Bridge. He was born in hey, that's Winchester. Nice. That's nice. Quite a few England caps there. Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and apparently a guy called Bob Anderson, who was a former BDO World's Darts champion. Uh, we are going to talk about um, Spurs, but not today. Uh, we're going to talk about them on Monday because they have a big game at the weekend. Um, suffice to say, I've written a little note here about Spurs that I wanted to read. Uh, and I've written, compare them to being in a, a deep into a long-term relationship and losing all perspective. I don't know what normal is. Where is the anchor? What do I compare this to? Do other couples do this? That's what I bring down. Because, I, 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 you know, I remember talking about Spurs three months ago and thing like, That's... maybe Mourinho's a genius. Like, maybe actually, you know, maybe there is an anti-Mourinho thing. And now I think, what the fuck was I talking about? Like, they're dog shit. And then I'm sure in on Monday when they, you know, have beaten Man City the weekend, I'll think, I don't know what's happening. I'm, I'm being gaslit. I'm confused. I, I, you know, this is a this season problem in extremists, though, isn't it? Because I think it, when, I think it when is. teams when teams do well and then do badly, the narr- and this we were talking about this on the text last night as well. And my exhaustion with everything is stuff flips backwards and forwards between being the best and the worst and then you add Mourinho into that who is (laughs) such a divisive manager anyway then you get an even more extreme version of you know because it's basically oscillating between all of you Mourinho haters are idiots he's the best coach ever you know he's still got it and then no Mourinho's actually just terrible I think he, even on a more kind of basic level than that, I, I don't even know if he's competent anymore. I can't work out. I, I feel like I, sh- I look at the results. I think, okay, okay. Oh, no, 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 no. We're going to have this conversation on Monday. I'm getting drawn okay. into it. Before yeah, we yeah, move yeah. on from Everton, right? One more thing. You mentioned Mason Holgate, Alex, there, I as did. a player who it's good to see. Yeah, it's good to see some minutes from. Hey, I wholeheartedly agree. You know what's not good to see, Alex? Tell me, Joe. Gum chewing. Oh. Gum chewing whilst playing football and hey 
don't get me wrong, this is not some kind of uh, moral offence, right? I'm not talking about it from the... I'm not inside a church, yeah? I'm not saying this is a... This offends God. I'm saying this makes me want to choke when I see it. When I see professional football players running around on a football pitch, breathing deeply through their mouths often, and they're chewing gum... I, I actually get the like psychosomatic throat closing up feeling, which is the same reason I couldn't take painkillers in pill form until I was like 25 years old. I think I had the, you know, I had the, uh, the cord wrapped around my neck when I was born. That's what mother said. Mother's always said, maybe that's who I am, you know? But I literally, I, like, I, I choke up when I see it. It makes me want to gag. And I hey, just Alex. wondered if, it, if this has an effect on anyone else. Alex, I told you this would make a great pod bit. Like you just, you just dangle this for someone like Joe, and he just, he just plunges headlong into it's, into the big. It's a physical, a physical reaction to something that, that can cause me no harm. You know, I mean, I, I basically I, don't like gum anyway because I'm afraid yeah. of choking. But I, I, oh, that's like, not why I, I when don't I, like it's, it. Oh, go on. Well, I don't, I don't like it because I've got that classic kind of spectrum thing of being unable to deal with noises. Yes, yes, mouth noises, As, uh, yeah. Mouth, well, now mouth noises particularly, other noises also. So I, you could never some, live with a cow, could you? If, <laughs> no. Or a camel. If or someone's sheep. making a particular, like I, I get, I get fixated on that noise. So yeah. last night, for example, I, I, I dipped into the commentary for the the Spurs Everton game a little bit, and um, Glenn Hoddle kept sniffing, and after about, I think it was eating nuts as well. After about a minute, I I had to turn it back off again because I was literally going insane. I I just yep. can't. And gum yep. chewing produces that same effect for me. It's just repugnant. So it gets you in a different way. What about you, Seb? Um, I don't have the same reaction to either of you, but uh, not, not I don't like it. For instance, I deeply, deeply, deeply hope that Brentford don't get promoted to the Premier League purely because of the way Thomas Frank chews gum. I hate right. it. I, ha- I feel like if his mother or father watches Brentford games and sees that, I would think they probably call him at full time and say, stop that immediately. Just stop it. Alex Ferguson used to do this too, didn't he? He would like sometimes turn the gum over outside of his mouth. You know, it would, yeah, it would pop out of the lip He didn't chew with his mouth turn. open as much. And it's just like, it's, he, it's so... Yeah, he had a small uh, I don't mouth. Know. It feels a bit it, performative. It, it, I mean, well, anyway, weird. it really upsets me. And to any footballers listening, please don't do it because you're making me choke in my own home. Uh, Donny van der Beek. Let's talk about Donny van der Beek after the break. Right. That's, that was a break. And now we're going to talk about Donny van der Beek. Uh, I'm just reading my notes here, Seb. And you'll, you'll know, uh, interestingly, that, um, I, I, hey, you know, there's a lot of football on at the moment, don't you? I do. Yes, I'm aware. Every that, night. Yes. Every night. Time. I think Alex All and I were talking about this yesterday. Um, and of course, that puts a lot of strain on a home life. Domestic scenarios. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, because actually a couple of nights ago, I was... You can just flow into different games. So I watched all of the FA Cup games on Tuesday. And then purely on the basis that I couldn't quite be bothered to go to bed and leave the sofa, I found myself watching Gil Vicente against Sporting Club in a monsoon. And I, I kind of I looked at the clock at about quarter to 11 and just thought what the fuck am i doing and just went to bed 
it's like that that's life now isn't it you just you live i hadn't expected to feel so depressed when i started this segment but that's okay i'll I'll roll with it um (laughs) (laughs) alex knows what i'm talking about anyway uh what you know the reason i bring this up is because obviously uh i i live at home with a partner and we like to spend time together as is i want you know we've decided to do that so it's nice if we actually have the time to do that but there's a lot of football and uh because you know there's a there's a fiendish fiendish gang of tipos who deserve our respect, and uh, this means I have to watch the football regularly. So, trying to find little moments to spend time together, this uh, resulted in uh, Megan <laughs> taking all of my notes for me, <laughs> like a good assistant, <laughs> after the uh, Manchester United-West Ham game. Subsequently, my diary has one page uh, of exceptionally uh, uh, nice and neat handwriting versus my, um, you know... Scroll. Yeah, my scroll. Uh, anyway, uh, it's, it is very neat, but it's, it's of a kind of kind of script that is actually kind of... I'm struggling to read it, so I'm trying to say Van der Beek. I told her to write down Van der Beek. Tough game. Poor performance, she wrote. It looks a lot like uh, nobody wants to pass him the ball, which is where I will start, because Alex and I talked about this a lot during the game. It looks a lot like nobody wants to pass him the ball. Uh, Alex, you looked at the numbers, and the numbers say, I am a fucking idiot. This is a really, really interesting point, isn't it? Because... What your eye was telling you and and what my eye was telling me were the same. But if you actually look at the numbers, Donny van der Beek is, is, is having the ball passed to him quite a lot. He's just not receiving it very often. And I think there's a reason for this, and it's the type of player that van der Beek is, is very different from the type of player that Bruno Fernandes is. So Fernandes is looking to uh, drop off to receive the ball in space play it forwards, and then maybe make a, a run into the box. Whereas Van der Beek plays much, much higher up in this United team. He's looking to play almost against defenders. He's very, very um, technically capable. If if you watch some of the best things that he did for Ajax, you know, his dribbling is amazing. His close control under pressure is really, really strong. And so he's confident in the way that he wants to play the game, but United's passes aren't giving him the ball in that way. It's been difficult for him, right? He doesn't have many opportunities to play. There's certainly a narrative around that now. Uh, it's clear to everybody that Manchester United spent X amount of million pounds on him and he's you know, sat on the bench for the vast majority of the season. Uh, and so when he does get opportunities, you know, it's that kind of double-edged sword, as the commentary team uh, pointed out on the night, that you really need a run of games to grow into any kind of form, particularly if there's a confidence issue uh, that could potentially be, you know, related to the, the, the situation that he's currently in. Um, but also when you're coming into a team to replace a player that is not just as good as Bruno Fernandes, but as important to the team, that is so difficult. <laughs> That's such a bad situation to be in. And you want to see players, you know, rise to meet those those sort of scenarios. Donny van der Beek spent, I feel like, half of his time in deep, wide positions where um, a combination of Matic, Fred... And uh, I don't know, you know, uh, Tellers maybe or Rashford would just pass the ball around him, uh, and he seemed to be moving into areas where they didn't need the extra man in that place. Uh, you know, it's a bit like when you watch Thiago directing the defenders and the wide players to pass the ball. It never actually comes to him, but it goes around him, and he's in charge of it because um, you know the the pass directly across is quicker than the pass to him. Donny van der Beek seems to often find himself in those positions, which is odd to me. 
And the other place he seems to find himself regularly, you know, the complete counter-extreme is literally on the line with the striker, looking to run in behind, looking to, you know, request the... Uh, the the Nemanja Matic play a thirty yard over the top ball, which I don't <laughs> think is ever going to happen. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I I understand and respect that to a certain extent. You have to learn and grow into playing with your teammates. He hasn't had a lot of time to do so, and I would certainly wouldn't put uh, Matic's passing ability, lack of or not, uh, you know, uh, down to Donny Van der Beek. But th- there just seems to be such a chasm between those two default positions it's like i play the game rocket league on playstation 4 right and one of the things that people talk about as you go up the ranks is a player is very likely to default to goal when they lose the ball and that is not always the best thing to do and i feel like watching donny van der Beek, he has a kind of default option and it might not always be the best thing to do or maybe i'm just looking at him in in the in the chasm the absence of uh, bruno fernandez what do you think no i think that's quite fair because Fernandez is is kind of a moments player for all of his tactical importance and his you know very um, consistent influence. He his Manchester United career has, has essentially been a, a series of anecdotes. You know, remember when he played that pass, that goal, that touch. You know, these kind of things. Van der Beek isn't really suited to playing like that. And what you see when he plays for Man United is someone who has been tasked with doing their very very best Bruno Fernandez impression, and you know, him not really having the abilities to do it. So he takes up a lot of the positions that um, Bruno would. He um, he mimics a lot of the traits. So you talked about him going up to the um, to, to the defensive line and trying to go beyond it and trying to receive passes. Very Bruno-like quality. And then the kind of the orchestrating, you know, the, the dynamic that he has. Again, it, it's... When he was at Ajax, he always struck me as someone that was like a... Not a system player in a bad way, but just someone that was an extension of more aggressive players around him. And he profited from that. So he would find himself in um, in attacking positions almost as an extension of other players' work. So if you think back to um, the semi-final against Spurs, the first leg, when he scored that, that, uh, that goal at White Hot Lane, that felt like just a natural place for him to be rather than uh, an instruction that he'd taken onto the field and... Um, used to exploit defensive weakness. He felt like a more organic type. The Man United player, the Man United version of Donny van der Beek, sort of, um, it, it moves between someone who's trying a little bit too hard, someone who's yeah. way out of their comfort zone trying to do things that they're not naturally suited to doing. And also, like you say, trying to trying to fill a shadow of a player that he doesn't really bear much relation to. I would add to that as well and say not not by fault of his own. And I, I, you know, this of course not. sort of, of course not. term. Well, no, 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 not what I'm about to say, rather than what you oh, just said. Okay. But th- this kind of term can be applied to players, you know, pejoratively, and that, that's not what I'm doing. But the result of everything that you've just said, and the result of what I said before, what actually, you know, what that actually leaves with him on the pitch is a passenger sometimes, and you can't be a passenger in uh, a Manchester United team. You can't be a passenger of a Premier League team. I-, I feel like too often he's in a position where he's either unused, you know, I- I- my 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 wonder before was whether the other players didn't want to pass him the ball because that's really what it seemed like. But maybe the reality is he's just in the wrong place or as you said, he's trying too hard to, to, to get onto the ball, trying too hard to make things happen. He only has a short window of opportunity to impress the manager and impress the fans and that kind of, that's a huge amount of pressure. I think when you're in his situation, when you're, when you've moved to a club for a very large fee, 
and you've been a little bit marginalized and you're only given opportunities to impress in short bursts of minutes or in um, deprioritized games, there's, there's an expectation of a conclusive moment People are searching for that, aren't they? They, they, yeah. you know, the people that have advocated for his involvement in the first team at United are waiting for, um, quote unquote, the definitive proof that they are right. And that's in football terms, it doesn't really exist, but it would be, you know, the 30 yard goal, the raking 40, 50 yard pass. And these things aren't really in Van der Beek's locker. And so he's caught in this weird situation where he's trying to provide evidence of his, I don't know, suitability. It's it's just See, a very I, strange I, place for a football player to be. I, I I disagree. I disagree with with some of this because I think I think if you watch Van der Baker Ajax, those things absolutely are in his locker. The the problem is that so Ajax he played either as a, as a sort of second striker, where getting up onto the line and using that close control, taking those quick short passes, the sort of player who would have worked really really well in sort of mid-era Pochettino Spurs. He's he's that kind of player. But also as a central midfielder at Ajax, either playing in a double pivot but with a central defender who would step up into that or in a midfield three, he would sit off, he would play those long passes into the channels and then he would be breaking forwards. And I think the problem that he has at United is that the the central midfield role at United isn't that at the moment, although arguably it could be and he could play in that. But also the 10 role isn't that because Fernandez sits back and finds pockets of space to orchestrate play a lot more than Van der Beek, who wants to who wants to push up, who wants to be a, a technical, aggressive, kind of shadow striker type of a 10 rather than uh, metronomic pass the ball around and then move himself kind of number 10 like he's just United don't I, I agree that he's not playing well for United but I don't think that's because he's he's not got certain of those qualities in his game it's because the way United are constructed doesn't suit him at this point in time do you not see some of those those um those traits in Fernandez's game though because obviously it, part of his role is to be deeper yes but a lot of his game is also to be aggressive, and that should suit Van der Beek. It's it's a, it's a different it's... kind of aggression, though. I think I think ah, Fernandez Fernandez is making those runs. So Van der Beek can make those runs if he starts as a central midfielder, and Bruno makes those runs from from an attacking midfield position. But but Bruno's runs are they're later than Van der Beek is he's. He's sort of Fernandez is in the middle of the two types of runs that Van der Beek wants to make, and and I think that's where the problem. Is. I agree that Fernandez is an aggressive player. I agree that he he plays forwards, but he doesn't start receiving the ball in that advanced position up against a defensive line. He receives it l deeper and then makes his run forwards. But that that's what I mean though, because Van der Beek. Van der Beek was comfortable receiving the ball in deeper positions at, um, at Ajax. I, 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 admittedly, he had a player like De Jong there as well, and that kind of eases the burden, and it kind of all the kind of the um, the the avenues out of defence went through him for a period. Except that, but if you, it, 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 there seems to be a kind of like there seems to be a situation where United won't put him 
into either of those categories. They just want him to mimic what Fernandez does on the pitch, and that's really strange to me. Like, yeah, because... no, that that I agree with. Okay. And, but okay. I think I think the, the 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 point where I disagree is that it's it's not working because he doesn't have the capabilities of doing that. I th- I think where his lack of ability is showing is in terms of how he adapts. Um, I think that that the way he wants to play the game isn't gelling with the way Manchester United want to use him at the moment. And so his failure is a tactical one. It's not a technical one. Do you think maybe there's a personality issue here? Because I, I don't know very much about Donny van der Beek as a, as a man, but Fernandez as a personality, like it's pretty vivid that, you know, he's, he's a kind of, I don't want to, you know, use something as try to lead it, but there is a kind of an aggressive um, Man United-ish, Man United-ish. Captain legend. Yeah, uh, I wasn't going to go there, but kind of yeah. I mean, he's, well, we said, he's we spiky, said this isn't in the he? chat, didn't we? We said he's he's the most captainy non-captain. Yeah, exactly. We said we said Maguire is kidding himself. Clearly, I, for you said that, that I thought was unfair. You said that <laughs> because I, 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 Maguire does have those characteristics. But if you look at the difference hey, between sure, sure. someone he's like Van der Beek and Fernandez, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Like it's uh, there is a big contrast between the two people. And I wonder yes, whether I, I, I can't quantify how effective that is. Okay. This is interesting, and you're both you're both good people with uh, legitimate and valid views. Uh, but it's not that I'm bored of it; it's that the listeners are, no, it's, it's that we've got to move on because we've only got technically one minute left, and uh, okay. Okay. there's a couple of other things we've got to talk about. Um, let's be let's let's rush over these briefly and tell you what we were going to talk about Leicester ahead of their game but uh, we're not gonna have time to do that today even though we want this second show to be forward facing so we, we promised to talk about Leicester's performance in that game on Tuesday's podcast so uh, listen out for that Leicester fans next up David Moyes was at Old Trafford for this game because he is the manager of West Ham and that's how that works uh, apparently it was the 14th time since he'd been there uh, hasn't won yet uh, since he lost the job, I mean, and uh, he looked unhappy. But that's just David Moyes for you. Uh, two things happened uh, with David Moyes in this game, which uh, struck me as odd. I'm not sure I've seen before uh, combined. Two substitutes were substituted, which is a thing. I don't know if I've ever seen that. Now, Odubeko was one of them, the 18-year-old forward who I believe had been part of Manchester United's academy in the past. Uh, there was another player as well, and I'm looking through my notes to see if I can find who it was. It was it was uh, Diop, it's who came Diop, on in the yeah. first half. Yeah, he said Diop, came on in the first half, and then was substituted in the second half. It's a kind of odd thing. It struck me that it was this is an FA Cup game, right? That you're allowed five subs. Is that if it goes to extra time, or are you just allowed five subs anyway? They also, they also made, West Ham also made the first concussion sub in the f- history of English football. During that Did game. they? Well, so, that's very yeah, interesting. So but a, does that answer my question, Seb? No, but it, it's it's part of the substitution. You're allowed to make one extra anyway. So, in FA Cup game at the moment, you are allowed to make five, but you could make six. You if could one make of them six. Was a concussion or how I many did, did they make? So you can make five at any point in the game. It's not an extra time related thing. Uh, you get one extra in West uh, in in extra time, but um, I think the um, like the League Cup and like some. Uh, European football competitions, um, you're allowed to make five substitutions in those games. Can, not in the can I say, Seb, you're, you're talking around this like you're writing a GCSE essay and you don't really know the answer. <laughs> I, I've got to three words a line towards the end yeah. of my answer sheet. I mean, you're really filling this with quite a lot of fluff and I'm not really clear. Just one more time. Uh, just normal, not including the... Uh, the <laughs> you're allowed to make five substitutions. 
Okay, thanks, man. Let's, let's get some... <laughs> Why are you making it so complicated? Just I just had a lot to question. say. I wanted to yeah. fit it all in. And no, you thanks. cut I... me off and call me boring yeah, exactly. if I don't do this it quickly. Is, yeah. This is what happens, isn't it? This is, this is the result of people who've spent a long time with, with dominant personality. Um, okay. Uh, anyway, the reason I was bringing this up is because it's weird. can't remember a time ever that I've seen that happen twice before. Obviously, the context is different with the number of substitutes, and maybe that, that, that maybe that's the main point here. Um, injuries as well, of course, too. It felt a little bit sad for, for young Odubeko, uh because he's only 18 years old, and he came on you know in the second half. He came on ahead of um, Ben Rama. Was it Ben Rama? Ben Rama. It was, I think, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was Ben Rama. The commentators thought we were going to come on. No, it wasn't Ben Rama. It was Adubeko. That was exciting. Oh, oh can I see a young 18-year-old player? It's always exciting to see a young 18-year-old footballer, isn't it? And then his little face when he got taken off. It just, it was just, it's just sad. I mean, I know, I'm sure there were tactical reasons for it. And I'm sure, you know, l- listen, he basically didn't have a touch of the ball. Uh, but... It's difficult, isn't it? It reminded me of Ralph Hasenhutl saying in that most recent of the 9-0 defeats that he stopped making substitutes because he didn't want that to be the debut for some of those players. Uh, but 18, subbed on, subbed off. Alex, what do you think? Well, I think it's tricky because he did play an hour. I mean, it's not, you know, because he he was brought on uh, and then played through most of extra time. So, yeah, from a psychological point of view, it's not ideal to be taken off, but it's not like he was only on the pitch for you know, 30 minutes like Diop, which to be fair was a tactical substitution because Moyes then went to a back three and, and rejigged everything around. Um, but, but also he, he didn't really do anything. So, you know, and, and at that point they were chasing the game. I mean, I think, I think Moyes maybe, I think perhaps bringing him on in the first place was a bit odd. Um, but you know, otherwise, you've got to look at that and say that when, when Moyes brought on Johnson and Fredericks, they were excellent substitutions that brought West Ham back into the game. So I don't think you can necessarily criticise all his decisions in that. I think the stigma of it is worse than the reality. I think it's a, it's, it makes sense. Like Alex has said, he, he didn't do anything. And so from a tactical uh, qualifier for the next round point of view, is it such a bad thing if he's not playing well? I understand it's harsh and I understand that it'd be, you know, pretty uncomfortable coach ride back to London, but sometimes it happens. Happened to Leroy Sane um, yeah. in, in December. Um, Hansi Flick took him off after like, I think he was only on the pitch for about 36 minutes. Happened to Hossam Ghali at Spurs and he, um, it was against Blackburn and he came off the pitch, took off his shirt, threw it down and walked down the tunnel and the whole stadium chanted, Ghali, you're a twat at him that you can't you know at the moment when you say the stigma is worse than the reality that that the, the stigma is the narrative and the way football is at the moment the narrative is the reality so you've got a, a lad who played in the youth system of the club that he's coming on against he's being substituted off for f- perfectly intelligible reasons but because there's got to be a story. That's what everyone focuses on. That then becomes the focus for him. That's then something he dwells on. Whereas if it weren't the case, Moyes would have probably taken him to one side and said, look, we need, you know, we were chasing the game. We'd run around for an hour and not done very much. 
fair's fair. I think I think you're right. I also think you're right, Seb. Yeah, I think we used to treat our children more harshly. Yeah. Oh, we I'm sure. I'm sure boys did do. That. And now, yeah. and now we now we're all namby pambies, aren't we? Now everyone's what's it? It's it's uh, Brexit Britain. It's the credit crunch. Don't, and I don't feel like this. a you know the children <laughs> the children need to learn, don't they? They need to learn. And they never, they never learn anymore. Now they just, oh, you don't even have to go to school now. You do what you want. Oh, it's like that. What they're going to do? Decriminalize murder? What are they going to do next? You know, we used to, kids used to be under our thumb. They used to be under our thumb. And now, what do they just run around outside? This, you know, and there's just. Listen. Next up, it's time for a Joe's player quote and facts list. It's Joe's Quotes and Facts Database. There's the nice jingle. Uh, listen, I'll be very honest with you. I have spent most of the week uh, outside Parliament ranting about what the country used to be like, so I haven't actually added any names to the list. So we're still stuck here with, with Arsenal's uh, goalkeepers and uh, first-team defenders, and I'm sort of regretting getting carried away and doing almost all of them in the last episode because now we're only left... With I believe Matt Macy. Uh, no, I haven't got Matt Macy. Matt He's not Macy on my is list. A goalkeeper He's... in the first team squad. You mean Matt Ryan? No, I mean Matt Macy. Matt Ryan now, but there is a Matt Macy. So you. Have well, Matt, Matt Macy is is not like. Uh, I think he left yeah. in January. Yeah. Thanks very much, Adonis. That's right. Ooh, I got my got back up from my producer. Oh. The two so-called football experts. What's happened to this country? Uh, he's not on their <laughs> website, so if he's not on their website, he listed exist. in their first team, he doesn't <laughs> exist. Yeah. So we've got. Fine. I think we did Matt Ryan. The only the only players we've got is we've got Kieran Tierney, and I believe we have uh, Gabriel. Gab- Gabriel. Yeah. We haven't done either of those, so we can do both of those now, and then I'll have to do some new players for next time. Uh, the Gabriel fact, apparently neighbours of the family told his parents they should enrol him at an academy, having noticed his talents. You know, so it's a good job that they didn't that's, live that's in nice. a detached house. And uh, the Gabriel's quote is, uh, so many fans were sending me messages asking me to sign for Arsenal. <laughs> so, you know, he did. And it's as easy as that. Uh, Kieran Tierney, uh, Kieran Tierney fact, Born on the Isle of Man. Yeah. Was he really? Yeah, he was. Born on Ireland. And uh, it's important for you to know in the Kieran Tierney quote, which I've taken from his Twitter, that boys is spelt B-H-O-Y-S. So I'm going to say boys, okay? And that's just before we get started. The quote reads, and this is Kieran Tierney's quote from Twitter. <laughs> There's something that the Bahoys want you to know, and uh, Seb was very confused about this before, weren't you, Seb? So I explained to you that Bahoy's is a, an official nickname for Celtic supporters, didn't I? Thank goodness you did that, yeah. Thank goodness. Uh, we've had to re-record this bit because Seb, it was Seb, Seb didn't know that that was definitely meant that. Me, yeah. And so we yeah. re-recorded it just to, you know, and I'm just letting I, everybody I, know that it was Seb that didn't uh, understand I talked that. myself into this big knot trying to cover my embarrassment and, you did yeah, and it wasn't funny it. I wasted it wasn't, everybody's you know, time no yeah, yeah and producer adonis has had to cut out a lot of what you said yeah. because yeah. uh what you said ended up actually not even just being not funny but also quite offensive so, so it's well, gone I mean, and i'm you know we'll yeah, be talking okay. about this after the podcast uh just as soon as i can find a mirror but that is the end of uh, the podcast now we'll be we'll be back on tuesday tuesday 
game relevant on Tuesday to be discussing whatever happens over the weekend. Hey, we're going to find out. Big games. But Leicester will be part of it, Leicester fans. I mean, not that there's a huge number of you listening, but, uh, you know, we treasure the ones that are. And uh, Alex, thanks to you. Uh, Thanks, Joe. And Seb, thanks to you. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Sorry about the boys thing again. No, that's fine. Really, stop reminding yourself that it happened. Uh, Thanks, as always, to producer Adonis for his hard work on this podcast, real hard work on this specific podcast. And uh, we'll be back on Tuesday with with more uh, stuff for you of basically the same, but a little bit different. Au revoir. Athletic.